You're about to hear our episode on augmented reality, which was recorded in the summer of 2016, when many people were happily walking the streets, reliving their childhood through Pokemon. Enjoy. Here we go. Neutron, proton, mass defect, lyrical oxidation, you're irrelevant, mass spectrograph, your electron volt, atomic energy erupting as I get all open on betatrons, gamma rays, thermal cracking, cyclotron, any and every mic you're on, transuranium, if y'all was uranium, molecule spontaneous combustion, bam. Law of definite proportion gaining weight on every element around. Welcome to Spark Science, where we explore stories of human curiosity. My name's Regina Barbara DeGraff, uh, astrophysicist and pop culture lover. Uh, my guest host today is Russell Pierce, and he's also a fellow physics lover and Belling hamster. How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Have you been on video before? Uh, like home camera, I think. <laughs> Well, um, we are usually on radio on KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham, but today we're on video, as you can see here. I'm very pleased to welcome Kyle Rader, computer scientist, entrepreneur, and world traveler. And today we're going to talk about augmented reality and what is it and how do we use it. So welcome, Kyle. Thank you very much. Um, do you like our background here? I think this is apt. Yeah, it this is background apt. here. Yeah. This um, non-real apt, um, <laughs> non-real background. Um, so I brought you here today because our show, we really want to help everyone kind of get interested in science and make mm -hmm. science like less intimidating. And there, I find augmented reality intimidating. So um, I, hopefully you can help us with that. I'm, I, hopefully I can. Okay. Um, it's, it's still kind of intimidating to those of us who have done it for a living, so. Okay. So before we get into what even that term means, I want to go into like background. And I'm going to kind of go back in between you and Russell, because okay. Russell's new here. And I want to know like how each of you kind of got into science. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to let you go first, just kind of like, how did you get into science? And then I'm going to let Russell tell us, and then we'll, okay. we'll talk about careers after that. All right, that's, that's a big question. How yeah. did I get into science? Yeah, or computer science. Computer science. Yeah. So I mean, growing up, I grew up in Redmond in Microsoft's backyard. Right. Um, they have a big it's backyard. also Amazon and Google and Boeing's backyard. So I grew up as a Boeing family. Right. And both my parents are engineers. My dad went to NC State. My mom was at Caltech doing applied math. What's NC State? Uh, North Carolina. That's what I thought. Okay, just, yeah. just to make sure. And so I, I kind of grew up with very, very heavy engineering influence. Right. And when I was in third grade, I was like, I'm going to major in math and everything. And Why, so why third grade? I don't, that's just kind of when I remember starting to really think about it. <laughs> so when it. your consciousness started? Yeah, my mom tried to teach me algebra very early, mm -hmm. like in third grade. That's what I'm doing with my daughter. And <laughs> She's in second grade, though. I, good luck. <laughs> it didn't work for me. Right. But so when I got to high school, I, my mom was also a programmer, so um, she had taught me about uh, some programming languages and things, and I was fortunate enough to have a high school that had a lot of career-based uh, courses that you could take as your high school electives. Because it was in the middle of like it was in Northwest yes. Silicon Valley. Yeah, this is <laughs> Northwest Silicon Valley. Yeah. Um, it was in Sammamish, okay, yeah. East Lake High School. So, right. so I took all of these computer-based classes on web programming and HTML and how to use Photoshop and how to do game programming and Visual Basic and, and all this stuff. So when I came to Western, uh, it was after having consulted some friends who work for Microsoft Research, and they highly recommended I go 
get a general degree in computer science based on what I like to do. So, wow. So then I came to Western and declared a triple major in math, computer science, and Where we are filming right now, we're at Western Washington University, just to let our viewers know. Yep. And uh, we will come back to how that experience was, but I'm going to take a quick, I'm going to veer over to Russell here. Please. Who also went to Western Washington University. True. That's like this table is just Western Washington University alum. But how did you get into science? Because you are, you are a scientist. That's true. Yeah. Uh, allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, I'm a bit more everyman in this respect. <laughs> <laughs> my beginnings were maybe a little bit more humble. My, my, you know, like when I was little, my dad laid carpet and my mom was a sort of housewife, I guess, it, it, and uh, up to a point until I got a little bit older. But um, my folks weren't exactly necessarily educated. Not that they weren't curious people or, who realize that sort of education is important, but, but I was always curious and I always sort of loved to be out in nature and sort of wonder, I guess, in general, which is that's the main yeah. main criteria for getting into science and was there um, like a moment that like you were like this is what I'm gonna do yeah but it didn't really come until I ultimately went to college because okay. so post high school I worked in construction um, until I was 25 and uh, had a few injuries that made me decide let's get out of this sort of really physical realm and occupation and um, so you started when you were 25 in undergrad. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you're a late, uh, older student. Yeah. Yeah. I was like sort of semi-non-traditional, still yeah. basically a kid, but yeah. but yeah. And I was always really into reading books, and I initially came in thinking I was going to be like an English major or something like that. And, and then you uh, went to physics. And I yeah, but I, I had well, <laughs> so so I had you know of course there were math requirements I had to take, and I sort of rediscovered or really not even I shouldn't say rediscovered I discovered math. I read Shirley Joking Mr. Feynman and realized, like, uh, this yeah. is the way to go. And it's been really fun ever since then. So. Yeah. So that, that's crazy interesting. I, 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 didn't, I knew your, both your stories um, before this, but putting you right next to each other <laughs> has been very, it's, I like the contrast. Yeah. So as a physics major, we have to take some computer science, but it is mm-hmm. incredibly minimal. <laughs> yeah. Incredibly minimal. Once you actually get into undergrad, like, how did you... How did you get into um, augmented reality? Like, at, being a student, what's the path to get there? And, and like, a lot of people do game design and stuff like that. Is, that, is there a link? Um, I would say that there, right now, is maybe a link between people who are interested in game programming and who want to do augmented reality, but purely because of the sort of inherent low-hanging fruit that augmented reality has with the gaming industry. Right. That people immediately feel like this is going to be great for gaming. Right. Um, now, that's not necessarily false or, or misplaced. The gaming mm-hmm. industry has always, like the military, actually been on sort of the forefront of certain areas of technology. Right. So um, there's certainly a connection there. And, right. and as you'll see, most of the augmented reality uh, advertising that people can really experience in a tangible way are games. Right. Um, you look at uh, particularly in virtual reality. You look at most of the virtual reality applications today are, are gaming. The HTC Vive is having massive success here. What is that, HTC Vive? The HTC Vive is sort of the latest and greatest in virtual reality technology. So Facebook uh, spent $2 billion acquiring the Oculus product. Okay. Um, and they've put a lot of money and time and effort into developing that. What and is that? The Oculus Rift is one of the first, <laughs> most well-known virtual reality headsets. Oh, we call okay. them face bricks because face it's bricks. It, yeah, in 
we'll get into this a little bit more, but when you're, right. when you're doing virtual reality, it's like taking a screen like this, putting some special lenses over it, and then doing this. Right. That, that would be like Google Cardboard. Right, and Google Cardboard is sort of the uh, the mockery uh -huh. um, from Google to Facebook. You know, uh, that Facebook went and spent two billion dollars developing this huge, awesome headset, and Google developed something that you literally fold out of cardboard, slide your phone into, and have nearly the same experience. Oh wow! We should have gotten some of those. So I'm sorry, you, listeners. Have you tried not to go off on this tangent? But have you tried? The, both of them, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, how do they compare? <laughs> <laughs> Virtually um, the same, right? They're they're more or less the same kind of experience, except that um, the the physical experience is a little different because Oculus, you're wearing a big headset, and you can run much more powerful games because you're you're mm -hmm. plugging this big tethered sure. headset into a pretty powerful gaming laptop or preferably a desktop. And cardboard doesn't carry current. Uh, cardboard's running off of your phone. Right. Your phone's not good at doing <laughs> intensive graphics. Right. Virtual reality and augmented reality today are all wrapped up in graphics processing. the difference I just keep on hearing I know you've said to me so many times that I like the word or the phrase augmented reality and my like primitive brain keeps on falling back into the word virtual reality right so okay. what should I I've completely <laughs> dodged your question of how I got into augmented reality um, which I can answer we can come if you back want to too. we, we can come, come this back is a that. pretty important question okay. I think this is the big question I yeah think. most people have at this point heard of virtual reality if they're somewhat internet fluent, and they're on the interwebs, as we say. Yeah. But most people don't have a good grasp of what um, augmented reality, or I'm going to say AR from now on. OK. Um, good. AR and VR, virtual reality. OK. So you can say that. Yeah. Um, but like, I think of like a headset, you know, like you're, you're in yeah. some sort of world, you're like interacting with maybe, you know, Legends of Zelda or something, and you're running mm -hmm. around. So is that is that a good, That's basically virtual? <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, that's a, that's exactly it. Right. Okay. Virtual reality. You're you are necessarily wearing something, and it's not um, the most minimal device that you're wearing. God no. Um, it's typically something that's pretty heavy and not the easiest thing to wear for a long time. Yeah. I was able to wear um, a VR headset for upwards of four hours straight, and I, I, I think that I can do that because I ride motorcycles, and I'm used to wearing helmets, mm, and yeah. I ride sport, so I'm used to wearing things on my head that are heavy for long durations of time, and, and I trampoline a lot, so I'm used to I've seen the videos. Stuff, so. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Tell me more but people who aren't used to like having weight on their head, mm -hmm. uh, suddenly having something that is anywhere between two to five pounds on your head is extremely. Straining um, to their neck. Yeah, it's very straining on your neck. So yeah. that's, there's a lot of, health concerns that get raised with you know, wearing these things that have to do with your, your neck, not even getting into the whole, how is this harming my eyes yeah, question. Outside of, outside of the physical exertion you have to put up with, what's it like to be immersed in, in an artificial environment for that long? 
Um, for a lot of people, it can be disorientating, it can be nauseating. Um, there's a whole bunch of research that's being done on how hormones affect our uh, our eyesight and our perception of light. Mm -hmm. So when you're dealing with VR and AR, there's you, you actually get quite um, into physics a lot more than you anticipate. So I've had the well, opportunity. Biophysics, I guess. Bi biophysics and, and just wave like waves and optics. Oh, wow, okay, light, yeah. Right, talking okay. about light. Photonics. Yeah, photonics. Cool. We um, had uh, the CEO of SBIE, uh, Gene Arthurs, and he talked about how blue light is like not good for you. <laughs> if you have like blue light at night. And, yeah. And I, I know that this is his, you know, um, career and stuff, and I don't know if totally true but it's absolutely true and computer programmers <laughs> can verify that okay. All, almost every computer programmer has a, I'm, that's a very big generalization lots of computer programmers who've been programming for a long time most of us have found programs like f.lux that will automatically reduce the blue light coming off your monitor right. during I have one of those too like hours. after he said that yeah, he's like it your shortens your life and your I was phone like what can do that too right and yeah. it will make things go red so that your eyes aren't being stressed. is this something you use yeah, all the time. Well, as, as an astronomer, when you're out observing, they have a lot of red lights everywhere. When you, ha when you go to a planetarium, there's a lot of red lights that they bring up in the, in the room because as your eyes adjust to darkness, um, that, that red light won't really affect your adjustment too much. But if you hmm. blow up a blue light, boom, it's gone. Then you have to sit in darkness for another 20 minutes to, mm -hmm. to totally adjust. Yep. So they haven't inherently thought about this on the, the VR or AR products that I've tried, coming, coming back to your question. Mm -hmm. It's pretty realistic depending on the VR headset you are using. So there's a lot of elements that play into what we consider uh, the realism of your experience, both in VR and AR. Um, in AR, I, I would talk a lot about attributes of, of realism um, and I'll, I'll come back to those. But so in, yeah. in, in your VR environment, a lot of what you um, use to determine your experience in, in terms of its believability is things like motion, it's things like your perception of depth, it's how your eyes are converging. Depth and, and convergence play a big factor in, in how AR is perceived. And so I'll come back to, to that, mm -hmm. to a concept called ver uh, vergence accommodation conflict. Yeah, that, uh, that doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Does so it mean anything to you, Russell? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a guess. So, so yeah. Virgin's something to do with converging augmented reality with real reality and... Kind of. Okay, and it's then... It's all to do with your eyes. And then, oh, mm. really, okay. Oh, it's focusing. It's focus. It's how okay. your eyes focus. But so, yeah, okay. Yeah. But then you? it's how you... Bl yeah, how yeah. are you focusing on, on digital content versus the real world the real content? World. Oh, yeah. so where are you focusing your view? Yeah. And what piece of it? Yeah. I'm realizing I'm doing a very bad job of, of actually answering your questions yeah. directly. So we're, we're going off on spaces. So many tangents here. So, so yeah, that's you okay. asked what's the difference between AR and VR. So yeah. let me give you a simple answer. Yeah, um, I, I like simple. VR, mm -hmm. you block out the the real world entirely. You're smothered, And you basically. immerse yourself in a in a what is a fully virtual world. It's very claustrophobic. Maybe. Yeah, it is. <laughs> For some people, that's yeah. add that to the list of nausea, um, yeah. disorientation, etc. Augmented reality differs in that when you put on an augmented reality headset, you are not blocking out the real world. What you're doing is you're putting a transparent screen in front mm -hmm. of you and overlaying digital content on top of what you normally see. Which right. So like like this image hard. that I have from Pokemon Go, like like this one right here, <laughs> like this one right here. For, right. For, for so our listeners, I'll, I'll try to post this as well. Like this. So. <laughs> 
like <laughs> like this. Okay. Not not using like in the 21st century version, but actually mm -hmm. as that similar is a, to. that is a similar to. Yeah, similar not, to. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And so what you just showed, the Pokemon Go thing, we'll, we'll, I'll get into Pokemon Go eventually here. Yes, Pokemon Go is an example of <laughs> augmented video, mm -hmm. not augmented reality. Okay. So when everyone who says Pokemon Go is an augmented reality game, <laughs> you can tell them, no, it's not. It's an augmented video game. Okay. You're not augmenting reality because you're not overlaying content on what you see. You're overlaying content on what a camera sees. Oh. There's a huge difference in the experience and how much you can do with that and how perfect you can make it look. So th that's the difference between AR and VR. Does that kind of, is no, that a simple explanation? I like yeah, it. Yeah, like it. I, think, I think my, uh, I knew that there was kind of a conflict of like use of that term. Mm -hmm. um, and, <laughs> and, and, I did too. And, and, but I wasn't, I, I didn't have it quite sorted out for myself because I felt like it was something to do with like level of immersion. Uh, um, and would you say that that's probably not a good way to think about it? Or um, I'd say that's it's maybe not the best way to think about it, but there are definitely there's definitely a difference in the level of immersion mm -hmm. because the whole idea with augmented reality is that we are not taking you out of your current environment, mm -hmm. um, and that has a lot of right. benefits both uh, on the physical side and on the the health risk and on the applications. So, right. Um, you know, you, you take virtual reality, um, when you're using a virtual reality headset, the fact that you can't see anything or where you physically are can affect your balance quite a bit. Um, when I put it on, I didn't, I didn't really get any uh, nausea or, or disorientation or anything like that. And particularly, I didn't get any, I didn't get any nausea or, or disorientation after I took it off. Mm -hmm. as well, which is um, something that a lot of people also experience is when you're in the world, your brain believes it and it's fine. It's like when you watch an animated movie, your brain just sort of accepts this as what's happening. But when you take that off and you're suddenly back in the real world, you can get a little bit disoriented. Mm. Um, but a, a huge part of that experience is how can you interact with the immersion? So I said, earlier, H the HTC Vive is having massive success. And the reason for that is because of their inputs. Okay. So inputs are, or input devices, I should say, are, are a huge factor in both VR and AR. And the HTC Vive did something which slowly the rest of the industry is going to discover, and this is what we've been doing at, at my AR company mentally for the, the past year, is thinking that any good VR or AR experience is going to rely on extremely good tracking. Now, okay. this is something that Microsoft knows and did well. Unfortunately, their HoloLens product, um, the, the first one is kind of a proof of concept and it's not great as a commercial product because of a, a number of things. The price point's extremely high, intentionally as a barrier to entry. The field yeah. of view is very, very small. Microsoft intentionally <laughs> making things priced high? It's right. crazy. So, well, um, we're going to take a quick break, yeah. and when we come back, I do want to get into like the industry. How did you get into augmented reality? <laughs> what is your company doing? And, and those kind of um, questions. So okay. we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back and answer those questions. Cool.
Welcome back to Spark Science. We're here with Kyle Rader, and we're talking about augmented reality. So we were just talking about kind of like the big players in augmented reality. But before I want to go, like, continue on with that discussion, I'd like to kind of ask you, how did you get into this, and what are you doing at your company? Right. So I'll answer those in reverse. Sure. So I have, I've actually left the field of augmented reality as of a month ago. You're 25, so you're like, I left it for, for <laughs> a decade, came back. Right, Sorry, just, just recently. Um, <laughs> I, I, I moved back to Bellingham for um, per, more personal reasons, but I, I still very much love augmented reality. Uh, how did I get into augmented reality? I was an undergrad at Western from 2010 to 2014, and during which I held five or six different programming jobs through, around Bellingham. So I've, I've, I've hopped around a lot as in, you know, figure out what I, I like to do and the kinds of teams I like to work on. Were these real jobs or were they internships? Like, or did you just like apply to a job while still getting your undergrad one, degree? One was an internship and the rest were all sort of normal jobs. Some of them part-time, some of them full-time. So would you tell our watchers and listeners to get a, get a degree in CS? It's pretty lucrative. <laughs> it's it's pretty lucrative. Yeah, that's not false. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, I would say that to if you want to get into computer science, you shouldn't inherently do it just because it's lucrative. Right. I, I won't fault anyone for doing that though. It's yeah. it's obviously a, a well sought after field. It's not easy though, and I think the latest the last stats I saw were like less than three percent of college graduates are are getting CS degrees. Um, it's wow. typically a hard degree at any university, and it takes a lot. It takes a certain kind of person and mindset. And I think great computer scientists can come from anywhere, but it's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. So um, typically, the first year of computer science is is a like a, a series of brain retraining for people mm-hmm. um, because it, it really is a a method of problem solving right. at its heart. And, we say and, uh, that in physics as well. Like yeah. you're you're training your brain to think a certain way. Right. Yeah. But it not, it's not only that that it's very challenging to like really learn problem solving skills, but it's also, and this is an issue, all over you know STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, math. But it's also very narrow, like the demographics that are in in that department and like the culture of that department. Sometimes there's issues yeah. with that as well. But. Yeah, th- those are those are slowly changing. <laughs> they are. They're getting um, better. Yeah, yeah. Slowly. <laughs> slowly changing. I, I can say though, uh, you know, in the uh, um, in the six years that I've been at Western, which to follow up, undergrad was 2010 to 2014, and I'll I'll be finishing uh, the master's in computer science here right. within the next year. Over the six years I have been here, I've seen dramatic change mm-hmm. uh, in Western's computer science department, right. um, growing both culturally and demographically. Right. Um, and just more welcoming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just um, all around the community has, has, has grown, and I think it's much stronger now than it was when I started. Right. So it's so, been very encouraging, and, I, and I've, loved, I've, I've loved every minute of being a part of that as well. So. Yeah, because I want to say to our listeners and our watchers that Kyle here has been very instrumental in, <laughs> in many student clubs and, and has supported and helped a lot of students stay and like, you know, retain a lot of students in computer science, and that's, that's been really great. So, um, but I do want to come back to what you were saying. So you had all these jobs. I had all these jobs. All around Bellingham. Um, so I was... Just a little over a year, like a year and two months ago, I was I was at one job and I was thinking about finding something else to do because I get bored easily. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I I had met 
an ex-Microsoft executive named Nigel Burton, who you can Google. Yeah. Um, Does you, he have a Wikipedia page and all that? I don't think he has a Wikipedia yeah. page, but um, he, he was at Microsoft for, for upwards of 23 years. Wow. Uh, he started in, in London when he was in his 20s and, and then you know, moved to Microsoft HQ in Redmond. And so he um, retired from Microsoft in 2013 uh, after having been at Microsoft for a long, long time and between the mid-2000s to like 2011 actually moved his family to China and, and worked Microsoft Beijing for uh, six years and then stayed in China for an extra year and then came back. So he had a house on Lopez and he had recently retired from Microsoft and he is the kind of guy who likes to be active and solve problems and he got bored retired on Lopez and wanted Lopez Island for, Lopez our, Island for our listeners and watchers and he wanted to go do something cool so he looked at um, a bunch of hot tech areas AI robotics quadcopters 3d printing AR and it was like AR is the coolest one I'm gonna do that so he founded a little company called Atlas he was just like founded on Lopez <laughs> Island Wow um, like tiny teeny tiny office mm -hmm. And he did that for about a year, and then he was having trouble finding developers on Lopez Island. Right. Which is, f for reference, Lopez is the kind of place where everyone on the island knows everyone. Mm -hmm. um, if not, someone you know knows everyone, and it's only one hop to cover yeah. that population. It's not very big. Not very big. Yeah. So, so he decided he didn't want to move to Seattle because it's, it's a long ways away from his house. It's a big commute. There's high competition for developers. Right. Um, same, similar story in Vancouver. Um, BC. BC, no, just north of us. <laughs> and, um, and so Bellingham's kind of right in the middle of Vancouver, BC, and Seattle. It's almost exactly in the middle. Almost exactly in the yeah. middle. And has a present and growing technology community mm -hmm. and three colleges, um, right. uh, all of which have cool technical programs. Uh, Western's has a reputation for its computer science program. There's the Northwest Indian College too, so there's four colleges. There's the Northwest Indian, I'm sorry, there's four <laughs> colleges. So there's there's a lot of kind of uh, youth and right. energy uh, around Bellingham. So he decided to come to Bellingham, and the day that he had moved here, I met him at a technology alliance group uh, meetup. Oh, the, the TAG. TAG. TAG, yeah. Um, yeah. So I met him. Those are very good. I Those, met him at a TAG yeah. uh, event, and we got off great, and I met his head of HR. And then several months later, like I think it was about eight months later, um, as I was thinking about leaving that current job I was at a little over a year ago, um, the, their head of HR reached out to me and was like, hey, we need someone to really come help us buckle down on our software development lifecycle and really managing our software team and helping build a product. Yeah. And I was like, I'm interested. Yeah. And so I had coffee and then I chatted with Nigel and in the span of a month I started contracting for them and a month later I came on as a full-time employee. And then how long after that did you go to Shanghai for for 3 months? So then it was so so when I came on uh, Atlas was currently contracting with one AR company who was producing actual hardware. So the hardware you're talking about are, are like like kind of goggles. Yeah. So now we're gonna AR so I, goggles. And I shared a couple photos with you. Yeah. Um, which 
I know Russell hasn't seen, so I'll want, this is the, the first set of AR glasses that I got to work with full time. Yeah, so the, I mean, they so they kind of look like bug eye, yeah, goggles. Well, they kind of look like Big chemistry goggles yeah. with yeah. like a with a fatter frame. Yeah, that's what they yeah. kind of look like. <laughs> or so, I could see snowboarding with those on. Yeah, snowboarding goggles. Yeah, some kind of goggles. Yeah. Snowboarding goggles. Like a would Pikachu be cool. comes out at you. Like <laughs> <laughs> right, while you. you're snowboarding. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you have to catch them all. There's yeah. no choice. So, so like as you're wearing these goggles, um, and you're and I, I saw in your picture that the reason I said it looks very like chemistry goggle is because it is clear. It's like a clear lens. Mm -hmm. So right, you see through them. Right, you're seeing through them. So you're seeing your surroundings, and then something's layered on top of that. Is that yes. the goal? Okay. Yes. And so AR glasses that I got to start working with at with Atlas um, were produced by a company called Imi, I M M Y Imi mm -hmm. Inc. And that was a really, really unique experience because when it comes to AR products, there are a couple of really big um, things. In, in VR, it's kind of like field of view. Everyone's got really big field of view, and they're like, what's the resolution, and what's the frame rate, and all this. In AR, it's all about field of view, first and foremost. Okay. Because, and the reason that's important is because in VR, it's very easy to have 120, 190 degree field of view, right? You can just put a big screen here and you can put these really fisheye lenses in front of your eyes mm -hmm. so that you see everything. But that distorts the virtual reality that you're seeing, so right. it's not actually realistic. Mm -hmm. um, it'd be more like, you know, our, our normal field of view is um, two degrees we see in like ultra high definition. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, it's, it's between sort of like 60 to 80 degrees is kind of low def, um, our peripheral vision. And then beyond that, it's, it's really hard to see. Yeah. Right? And, and so once you're past 120 degrees, it's, it's really hard. So if you put a 30 degree AR set of glasses in front of your face, it looks really small because it sits right kind of in the center of your vision, but it doesn't cover, it doesn't quite cover the peripheral that you want to have content on. Okay, and so you said two degree, do you mean 20 degree? No, no, so two. two. I was just two, Two wow. degrees is what you see in high, high def. High def, okay. Yeah, so there's uh, one concept that we, you know, throw, throw around is like, is there in the future gonna be ways we can dynamically render the resolution based on where you're looking. Right, because you, right. you went from like two to 60. So I was like, what's right. two between? Two 60. So, so let's go over the degrees real quick. Yeah, so, yeah. So what's between two and 60 <laughs> so, was my question. So about 20, so, so let's start with Google Glass, because Google Glass was actually was, was one yeah. of the early on so AR kind of products. So for our listeners and watchers, the Google Glass is basically, they look like normal glasses with that tiny little normal glass window with on a, the top right. Right, with a mono prism display. Right. The Google Glass uses what's called a waveguide, so it projects light down the side of the uh, what we call the temple arm of your glasses, and then it uses a waveguide to change the direction of those light rays mm -hmm. and, and redirect them into, Back your, into eye. your eye. Yep. Um, while I'm on the subject of waveguides, 
because of the way light works, because of photonics, mm -hmm. you can only change the direction of light with waveguides so many degrees, because when you do that and you pass the light through these um, plastic materials, it changes the physical nature of the light waves, and so it changes the speed at which at which they're traveling. Yes. And this ends up causing something called chromatic distortion, where the color of your image will start to blur and, and do weird things. Right. Because... Um, Which you guys know more about Yeah, different colors of light have, you know, they travel at different speeds as they're going through that material, right? right. So that's how you can get white light and turn it into a prism. Uh, sorry, turn it into a spectrum. Into a spectrum. From a prism. But yeah, it's, go ahead. It's like the image we see on physics books. Yeah, it's, it's all, and, and like Pink, Pink, Pink Floyd, Floyd albums. albums. Pink Floyd. Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so with a waveguide system, when you're trying to project your image and you're guiding that image with waveguides, you can only turn it so much. Mm -hmm. And what that results in is you can only get so much field of view. You can only have so wide of an image. Right. And so the Google Glass is only about a 15 degree field of view. So anyone who's tried Google Glass knows it's kind of like a little screen floating here. And because it's monocular, it only sits over one eye, right. it, there's no perception of depth. Right. So you just see this little floating HUD or heads up display um, okay. in front of one eye. I always feel like, I mean, I, I've never even tried it. Um, I almost feel like it's almost cliche now. Like that's, that's old news, you know? Like, um, I don't know if cliche is. Right, not maybe cliche, word, but just not cool anymore. It was the first. <laughs> was it ever cool? Yeah. Well, it, it got was. turned. That term "glass holes" kind of did it under pretty quickly. Google. Yeah. yeah, yeah, caught on pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so oh, I get it. Got. There was a whole bunch of. <laughs> there was a whole bunch of stuff about you know it had a camera on it and people. Oh. Didn't, you know, somehow someone wearing a camera and walking around and looking at people invades people's privacy. Except when your camera, you can just be like, uh, your, but your this, phone, this and you're just like doing this. cameras everywhere yeah. already, so yeah. I, I didn't really understand why disturb people so much. Right, yeah. But um, I think they were just looking for reasons, probably, because they felt like it's douchey or whatever. It's but, because it was yeah. lots of money and they didn't have any. That, yeah. that was my reason I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. I will straight up say that. <laughs> that is, so that's honest. true. Yeah. So, so that's kind of where some people think AR started right. kind of there. But where did it really start? But <laughs> it started with um, a man whose name I'm going to try to remember mm -hmm. back in the 80s who's been developing wearable uh, heads-up heads display technology for mm -hmm. like 30 years. Um, oh, is he the guy who got his PhD where he was like integrated his own life with the, the thing he was wearing? And Probably. Like, yes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'll oh Google his name if I can't remember. Oh, I, I totally um, think I know who you're talking he's, about. He's done talks at AWE and, mm -hmm. and, and, and stuff. And like he doesn't he, ever take it off. Like he, Yeah, and he's like always wearing it. Yeah. Um, he's got these like black goggles that like and he did, his, cool he did his defense he's, with it on, and they're like, well, isn't that did. cheating? And he's like, well, that's part of my you know, that's thesis. That's part of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah he, he's <laughs> done a lot of um, very interesting things. Like, he is the one who actually came up with um, HDR, Okay. Um, which is like everyone's iPhone mm -hmm. can take HDR photos because of the father of augmented reality. Wow. Because he started off with the whole idea of actually, how could you make better welding masks? Wow. Because when you're welding and you're, you have, I don't know anything about welding, so I'm just blindly going into this field. Yeah. When you're, you have the welding thing, the torch, and you're welding something, the 
light created from that that welding, the flame is is extremely bright. And right. so when even when you're wearing a welding mask, you you apparently can't see anything. No, you have yeah. to blindly sort of know where to go. I think yeah. you can see the flame, but but that's it. So you have to have the flame yeah. on the whole yeah. time to like know right. what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. And so he thought. It's very well, dangerous. Yeah. So he thought, how can we, you know, could could the goggles guide you? Mm. Could they guide your welding path? Because that would alone would help a whole bunch of welding errors. When there's errors in welding, um, particularly like when you're building ships, um, yeah. there's you know it, it's incredibly costly to have to take a panel off and turn it around or redo a weld or all kinds of stuff. So that's crazy that's interesting. Kind of where I think it started. Okay. He might. Um, Tell a different story. So where is it now then? So, so fast forward. So yeah. he he was doing stuff at MIT for a long time um, with their wearables division lab. I, I don't know what it's called. Um, something like that. Something like that. So it was in had, the 80s. It was before you were born, so it doesn't so matter. So you had the Google Glass thing starting to put content on top of what we normally see. Then you have uh, Sony and Epson in, in kind of combination came out with a pair of glasses that had that were dual display. And when was this? What year was that? This was, <coughs> oh, my history is a little bit rusty on, on this. This was in between three and four years ago. Okay, I, so I'm, I, I'm I I, like, that was my question, like within the last decade, within the last five years? like Yeah, just <coughs> more, much more recently. Got it. All within the last decade, for sure. Okay. Um, so you have Epson and Sony come out with these glasses that have a 23 degree field of view, Okay. Um, which is real small, but you could put content and you could do depth because you have two images now. Mm -hmm. So that was big. Um, and they caught on, and they're still around, and they're making glasses, but it, when it comes to the AR experience, it's not very good. Nigel's company tried those early on. And so from, from there, um, there's a company called Meta, um, and Atlas was actually the very first outside software company to work with Meta. I have their, I say I have, I used to have, their 3D printed, the very first 3D printed model of the Meta glasses, Meta um, is big now because of the Meta Two, which has is claiming to have a 90 degree field of view. Whoa, that's a big jump for AR glasses. Yeah. Um, they claim that they're going to ship Q3 or Q4 of this year for about a thousand bucks. So we'll see if that happens. Okay. Um, and so that's a big, big bulging display. Um, you can find photos okay. and maybe throw them in the video. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Meta 2. This is the Meta. Then that's coming out like this year, you're saying? Maybe. Maybe. But that's soon. But soon. Soon. Probably within the next two years. It'll okay. definitely be out. So I, I want to take a quick break because when I come okay. back, I want to talk about like what content is in these goggles that we mm -hmm. have. And then also, how has augmented reality, vir virtual reality, been kind of portrayed in pop culture? How is that close to where we've actually gone? And how, how much of it do you like and how much of it do you just horrible? You don't <laughs> like it all. back to Spark Science. We're here with Kyle Rader, again, still talking about augmented reality. And so I was curious, we were talking about all these different companies sort of doing different things, mm -hmm. improving field of vision, etc. Um, but I'm sort of wondering about the application. And so 
Um, I can imagine different companies have different mission statements with the with the development of their devices, and so um, you know because I can easily imagine, say, uh, someone who wants to develop a device that allows surgeons to work more efficiently and more safely, or something like that. So, can you speak, I guess, to the to the mission statements of any sure. companies of intrigue? I, <laughs> companies of intrigue. Yeah, um, yeah. I can't. I don't know uh, the mission statements exactly of, of some of the big players, sure. um, but I can I can definitely speak to what various people have have tried to do. Um, as you, mes- you mentioned uh, surgery. Um, one of the reoccurring requests that we had at our company, which I, I worked for a company that, um, in the end, w- we were called Real Max, and we were an American company that was partly owned by a Chinese company, and so. Um, which is why I was in Shanghai for three and a half months okay. this summer. Um, so RealMax's mission statement was to deepen people's understanding of the world through augmented reality. And what it really boiled down to was, uh, for us was how do we enable people to grasp complex things, ideas, concepts in a, in a visual and a hands-on way. So it had a lot of a lot to do with education. How do we how do we use AR to improve our education of things? So instead of you know reading about atoms or the solar system. So you were saying so instead <coughs> of that you can like maybe experience it. Right. If we could experience that stuff and actually have it be interactive, like what happens to this atom if I pull away an electron? Mm-hmm. What's happening to the elements, right? What happens when I visualize protein chains, right? Um, right? The, so there's all kinds of stuff we can do, particularly in STEM. Um, I, and I point to STEM because it's what I know, and because I know there are lots of very complex things that are currently hard to visualize. Right. And we we try to visualize them with applications that render 3D things on 2D screens, but it's it's not the same, right? It's it's really not the same watching a video of proteins folding opposed to having the, f- the physical models, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why we have physical models. Right. But those are big and clunky and can be expensive. So so, so coming back to the surgery, um, one of the big requests we got at RealMax was actually not for um, live surgery applications, although that definitely was on the table. It was actually for training. So when surgeons are in training, uh, they use these animatronic patients that are on tables that are upwards of $100,000 a piece. And the, the, the animatronic patient will exhibit symptoms and it can move and react and they can literally perform surgery on this, on this fake person. Mm-hmm. And so as you can imagine, uh, the UW Medical Center would love to have more of these, but they're really, you know, yeah. what else can you do with $100,000? Quite a buy a, buy a house. No. You can you can buy. <laughs> no, that's not true. I don't that's think. not true. Yeah. Not true. Depend, Half a house. Depending, <laughs> depending on the house. thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, you could do a lot. So it would be really great if they could take a normal table and augment right. a patient, oh, right? So cool. That a student could then put on a pair of AR glasses, where the glasses maybe are expensive and cost three thousand dollars. That's a lot better than a hundred thousand dollar table. Mm-hmm. So suddenly you can have a whole room of people all participating in an exercise simultaneously. Um, not only that, but they can also be getting um, what we, we call like telepresence. So you think about Star Wars holograms. Uh-huh. Um, that's an application that we Holocaust. were working on. Yeah. yeah. 
where you know you you project someone into your augmented world, but they're in some other physical place, and you're augmented into their world. When when you you have no context for what that person is seeing over there, um, particularly if they're in VR and they're over there, you know, with the the face background and they're doing stuff with their hands, and you're just watching them like, are they swatting bees or? What? Right. <laughs> So advocates of Pokemon Go. We'll come back to Pokemon Go when we talk about pop culture, yeah, yeah, pop sorry, culture and just, content. It's on everyone's lips, but when yeah, um, it it's hot right now, yeah. it's gonna pass. Is it? Um, <laughs> That's what they said about Pokemon until, 25 years ago <laughs> when you were born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's true. Let's be clear. I collected Pokemon cards when yeah. I was in second grade. Right. You're just abandoning them now. It's cool. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> But so, so, sorry, you were saying. Yeah, so, I distracted so, you with this. So thing, the surgery is, is like a, a great example um, of stuff. And, and Google Cardboard was actually in the news last year for allowing a surgeon to visualize um, the status of a patient, mm. which was great because he could mm. manipulate it and see something in 3D in front of him in a way that the existing technology on screens could not. Mm -hmm. um, and it helped save a child. And so it was a big wow. news break, you know, it was wow. a big news story that was like, here's a positive thing about AR. I love that it's the most hoi polloi version of all that <laughs> that does it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh, a little better than Pokemon Go, I think. But um, so anyway, so, so we were talking about applications in, in, in mission. Yeah. So Real Max's mission was really about how do we help the world with AR? And I think if you're in AR, there's a constant sort of question of, Am I doing this because this is the coolest I could be doing right now? Or, <laughs> or is it because this is um, a really helpful technology that actually solves real, real world problems? Mm -hmm. and, and that was a question I you know, had to think about myself. And because for me to really be invested, I kind of have to be on the side of, this is a technology that's solving real world problems and is making the world better today mm -hmm. versus just being an arbitrary visionary mm -hmm. and yes. coming up with cool tech that is gonna drive the, the way we do everything t 10, 20 years from now. Right. So that was kind of our, our mission statement was mm -hmm. help the world deepen people's understanding um, in, a, in a lot of Rumax's early customer segments had to do with education, mm -hmm. um, and, and particularly education in China, mm -hmm. actually, mm -hmm. where right. um, currently I think um, AR is, is exploding much, much faster in China than it is in the US. Oh, really? Pokemon Go was kind of a big thrust for, for the US. Before Pokemon Go, China, I think, was already qu quite a ways ahead. Like, virtual reality was very commonplace in, in China. So in spite of the cringe factor for Pokemon Go, right? You're saying. Just, in spite of that, you know, sort of that, that sort of misuse of the term AR for mm -hmm. Pokemon Go, do you, does that also, just that thing coming out make you sort of feel like, oh, we're going to get like funding and this is really going to go off? Like, uh, Real Max was looking at actually working with uh, Niantic if possible. Um, out in the future, but which that's, is the company which, that which is the company that that does Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go. Yeah. It would be really, really cool to see Real Max become the first 
company to do actual AR for Pokemon Go. Um, that right. would be huge. I, I can't comment on, on the status of any of that because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I don't but, work but, there anymore. But outside of that, I just mean like as someone in the, the AR field, do you see the explosion of something like Pokemon Go, even if not quite <laughs> AR, as a good indicator it. that like this field is going to get pushed even faster. Um, absolutely, and very, very strongly so, uh, for a very specific reason. In the month leading up to the launch of Pokemon Go, what my primary job was was architecting a software solution uh, for augmented reality and what we called digital or augmented real estate. And we were, I was literally. I say I, we, RioMax still is envisioning a future where we have augmented uh, real estate, which in, I, th I think it's, this guy wrote a book, <laughs> I, I am and he talks about belief circles, um, where in Regina's belief circle of Pokemon Go, she walks down the road, and when there's augmented points of interest, she sees a Pikachu, mm -hmm. or I wish. a Only got one of those. Charizard, or... <laughs> um, I don't. Jigglypuff is another one. I, yeah. I think yeah. I've heard okay. of. Yeah. I'm walking down the road and and I pass the same physical point of interest, but in my belief circle, in my augmented real estate, I see something else. A right. Harry Potter. A million trampolines. So I'm going to have trampolines. With motorcycles on them. Yeah. Harry Potter is a good example. Harry Potter. Um, right. China. You see Dobby and he's just waving to you. I see Dobby, right. And he's like, and so come the, this way. So, so I was uh, focused on, on architecting the software platform to enable that actually happening. Mm, okay. and, and they're still working on it. And Because um, so when you said real estate, I was thinking of more of um, like the really cheap, you go to like Redfin and you can oh, like, right. you can, it's <laughs> no. the virtual tour and you like put the Google, you know, no, cardboard right. on and you're like, oh, which I, can, is like a, yeah. I can check out this house. So important. Yeah. yeah. Which is that doesn't like really save in the world. Some but, realtors yeah. are maybe going to get excited about that, but that's yes, like, that's about it, yeah. There's a lot of applications in AR that will make money because there are large corporations yeah. willing to put stuff in there. One of them is like augmenting furniture in your home. Right. And right. they're like, the, what would this AR, look like? Exactly. Oh the God. AR yeah. for IKEA. Right. right. That's going to exist and make money. My friend Leela's head would like explode. That's exactly what she wants. So I'd I think. furnish my house, and then every, all my guests would be like, no, no, no. That furniture is for other guests. <laughs> like, don't sit there. That's their augmented real estate. Yeah. <laughs> so we were doing this thing, right, where we could take augmented content and layer it on top of the real world, because that's what AR is all about, yeah. adding content to the real world. So we were looking at, at using all kinds of things, geolocation, the same way that Pokemon Go does, but on top of that, actually doing tracking from your device, depth tracking, where you have mm. multiple cameras, um, and, and you're, you're tracking depth, you're using infrared, you're using RGB cameras, etc. And because you can see through and you're layering, you can like walk around and it's not super dangerous, or it's slightly dangerous? Um, no, it's not really okay. dangerous, because okay. you, you still have full autonomy okay. in, in your physical space. Okay. I'll come back to this in one minute. I'll, I'll take a tangent and touch, talk for a minute about how augmented reality actually works. Yeah, that's important. Good call. We, <laughs> <laughs> so to, how do we put stuff on the screen and then make it line up with stuff on the table? Like if I want yeah. to put my phone here and I want to see you know, a hologram come out of this, how do I do that? Well, it requires tracking, first and foremost, of me and where I am in relation to the physical world. Mm -hmm. So most devices, uh, Meta 2, Microsoft HoloLens, Magic Leap is doing something, but they're extremely secret secretive. Maybe we'll come back to them. 
So got to track um, and calculate what is my exact position, and not just of me, but particularly of, of my eyes. Yeah, of course. What is the position of my eyes relative to the physical world? Because I have to use that information to position and render my content. Um, now, the content gets rendered on some form of screen. Most products currently are using a waveguide. There are some purely optical-based systems, um, which I mentioned IMI was the, the first product I was working with. They have a very special product, actually, because it's a 60-degree FOV AR device, which for the last year has been unheard of. Um, so for the, my whole first experience of AR was with 60-degree. So when Microsoft comes along with 30, I think it's 34, generous, generously speaking, uh, right. degrees field of view. I'm like, great, that you just, sucks. You just throw it to the ground. <laughs> but Microsoft has fantastic tracking mm. because they've got this big sensor, sensor board that they did. They built their own holographic processing unit, the HPU, just a board for processing their, their tracking data and things like that to do really good tracking. Mm -hmm. So even though the field of view is small, the stuff is positioned really well and it looks very authentic. It looks like, oh, if there's a, a, you know, a Gmail icon pops up, I should say, if there's an Outlook icon that pops up, yeah. they want to Windows-ify the world. Mm -hmm. So if there's a Windows icon that comes up, um, it looks like it's floating on top of my phone. Mm -hmm. The depth that I have for that content is good. Other systems, the depth is still a little bit hard um, so I have to track where I'm at so that I can render the content on the screen and I won't kind of go beyond that. So coming back to Leap Motion Special because they are basically creating their own OLED. I don't know what that is. An o OLED is um, something LED. Okay. If you're going to use an OLED in any kind of normal device today, I almost guarantee it's built by Sony. An organic LED is like usually... I picture like a screen that's flexible with right. images on it. Flat, yeah, 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 flat panel OLEDs. Okay. Um, so you have little OLEDs somewhere in this device that's projecting your yeah. computer's image, and that gets either reflected or waveguided into your eyes. IMI uses two OLEDs, and they project off of a series of mirrors that bounce back into your eye. Very cool system, provides great light projection, it, not a waveguide, so there's no chromatic aberration, mm. which is why they had a large field of view. Um, and all that info is on their website, so I can talk about it. Yeah. So anyway, so you have all these different hardware products that have to do tracking. So why was I excited about Pokemon Go? Pokemon Go suddenly proved that people will use a system where there's augmented content layered on top of the physical world. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge proof of concept because we are basically enabling, at RealMax, we were enabling people to basically be able to put on a pair of glasses and if Starbucks is running an AR promotion, if I'm at the Starbucks on the corner of Holly and Railroad, if I'm at that Starbucks, then I'm going to see cool AR content on all of their logos. Right. I need to be able to then track all of the logos from my headset when I see them, which means I need to have cameras, I need to be able to do image recognition. I need to be connected to the clouds so that I know right. what images I'm going to be tracking. I need to be connected to the cloud to dynamically download the content and drive the sort of business logic of that content. Yeah. And so that's the system that I was architecting so that basically anyone on RealMax products could um, put on a headset and go walk to the corner of Holly and Railroad and see Starbucks promotion. Right. Or maybe in Bellingham, Woods Coffee has paid 
to own that augmented public real estate mm. so that anyone oh, walking by now it's all clicking no, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah so maybe if you walk by Starbucks you're gonna see a Woods coffee advertisement wow. in your glasses Wow no privately we could make any we could right do you do we anything? could make a group and if you walk to the Starbucks and you're in my group and yeah. I've put content there you guys can see my content right because we can have infinitely you know stacked yeah. augmented real estates well, which, which brings us to pop culture, right? Like, so mm -hmm. many movies that are set in the future, like Demolition Man, <laughs> where, the, where Taco Bell won the fast food wars. Please, listeners, watch this movie. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's probably very dated. In that movie, in, like, in cartoons and Back to the Future, really most of this technology is... I think accelerated and used by businesses, right? I mean, that's really what it is. That's what's mm -hmm. going to motivate this. Um, By the way, so Pokemon Go is already doing, about to do this, uh, paid advertising, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it actually happened without companies even paying for it, mm -hmm. right? Um, what company? Bellingham is like covered with Pokestop. Railroad is covered with yeah. Pokestops, right? Yeah. So because those all came from the Google's ingress. Right. Data, so points right. of interest that people had marked in the real world became right. Pokestops. So it's like the um, Casa Que Pasa had a Pokestop on it. Right, and, so and Spark Pokemon Museum, there. who helps sponsor the show, had, so suddenly, had a Pokestop. Some of these people are getting more business. Right. Well, you put a lure up and you bring people there. Because people are coming for augmented content. Yeah. Um, and that's like exactly what we were predicting would happen slowly over the course of the next decade. But it's happened. Like and then I saw it happen in a week mm -hmm, mm -hmm. across the entire country mm -hmm. in mobs. Yeah. <laughs> so you can imagine. So I mean, I was I was like in a state of shock and awe. I was just like, oh my god, it's happening now. Yeah. And um, and that was really exciting. But so, I bet you Nintendo was like, we knew it was going to happen. <laughs> so, to, so to answer your question, yeah. why, that's kind of why I was excited about Pokemon Go and why I still am. And it's, it's not going to blow over so fast, I think. I, I think people are really invested. And I know you play it, so. I don't. I am level four still. Okay. So <laughs> let's. That doesn't mean you no. haven't played it. I have played it. Okay. I had to play it on principle. Okay. Full, full disclosure, I've never played it. Oh. Then that leads me to kind of the end of our show that we always talk about. And Russell, chime in any time you want. Like, happily. Happily. <laughs> what in the media that you have seen, since you're younger than us, you're gonna, it's going to be more recent things, but <laughs> that they have augmented reality or they have, you know, holograms. Because you were t saying, like, this hologram, like, kind of a hologram meeting. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you see in, the, in pop culture that has come to fruition? What hasn't? What is horrible? So, I mean, th things that I've seen recently, I, I actually will always go back to Minority Report. That was such a good movie. People, I think, still kind of think of Minority Report as a benchmark of yeah. what the future of computers is going to be like. It's like the only Tom Cruise movie I enjoyed. And <laughs> Risky business. Yeah, no, it's the only Tom Cruise movie I enjoyed. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, you've got Minority Report. You have more recent things, though, like look at Avatar, James Cameron. Um, right. You know, they use lots of holograms and sort of augmented reality concepts in that movie from the mm. big center table where they're looking at the kind of AR uh, jungle. Right. Um, I, I don't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I, I hear they have like a holodeck. Yeah. It's a similar kind of thing. And, and, and like every Star Wars movie, they have All the like Star Wars <laughs> movies. <laughs> yeah. So to touch on Star Wars, that's very realistic. And uh, I think one of the videos I, I linked to you this morning was... 
Microsoft doing a holo projection type experience. Um, so they've actually proof of concept that Star Wars experience already. But to That's do so it, awesome. it requires a full setup of cameras and mm -hmm. that you're in a kind of a studio, if you will, not so different from this one, a full right. on studio. Um, and so how we're going to get that down to, you know, not needing a bunch of cameras around here. Because, so like I, to touch back on what I said about the HTC, the HTC is doing so well because they have external tracking. So the HTC, you set up two external tracking beacons that flood the scene with infrared light and the controllers and the headset are covered with infrared uh, receivers. So you know, no matter what position you're in exactly, where the controllers are oh. in relation to the goggles. And now because you're, you're just watching a screen in the goggles, you don't need to track where your eyes are. But you see the controllers in perfect relation to what you're seeing. And so the experience is fantastic. Have you experienced that? Yes. So that just, that just triggered another question, and not to create any tangents, but Go for it. it made me think, so would you also count infrared goggles, like heat-seeing goggles, as like a type of AR, or? I wouldn't, I mean, sure, in, in, a, in an abstract sense, absolutely, because you are augmenting the way you see the physical world. Mm -hmm. But it is real, though. It is, I mean, those, like, what you're seeing through those goggles is something that does exist. Yeah, though. it's absolutely real. Yeah. Um, but you're still, you're looking through, um, you know, a, a screen, mm -hmm. um, right? Which is That's true. what the infrared cameras see. Mm -hmm. So it can be distorted from what actual reality is, meaning when you hold up your hand and you're looking through infrared goggles, I shouldn't say, if, if it's projecting on a screen in front of your eyes, then you could project a distorted field of view or an inflated field of view and things like that. If it's actually just a screen, I don't know exactly how infrared goggles work. I'm sure there's different types. Um, again, I'm a little out of my field here. That's right. That's why you do that to everybody. We ask so, some crazy questions. Yeah, but it's, it's a great question. Yeah. So you, you could, though, also <laughs> add content, and you could be doing tracking. Yeah. So, so it's absolutely sort of a gateway. And absolutely, the military wants augmented reality Yeah. for Many Fire things. pilots for simulation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to. I want to bring this question. And now that Jordan, um, our other co-host, he's not a big Star Trek fan. I don't know if you are, Russell. Star Trek Next Gen. I, I do like it. Okay. I'm not as quick to reference it as some as, people. As I yeah, am. Yeah. I want to bring up the issue of when you were talking about virtual reality. You're kind of immersed in it, and you can. It can almost mm -hmm. trick your senses, like you were saying. Like you, could, it, your brain is like, okay, this is now my reality. I right. can get turned. Um, and that's in Star Trek Next Generation. They have that holodeck, and they're just in that tiny room. But all of a sudden, they feel like they're hiking up a mountain because basically right. they're getting turned around over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. But they aren't wearing 
a full helmet, right? It almost is like this kind of augmented reality that it's getting layered onto what's actually there. So it's like kind yeah. of a combination of those two things. So kind, kind, kind of. of, kind of. Because I'm, I'm stretching because I like Star Trek. Because in, <laughs> in the holodeck, right, you can't keep climbing around the mountain and simultaneously get tangled in a cord. Right, exactly. So, which exactly. Is, which you can do in right. the virtual reality setups today. So it's it's a little bit different. But the in in sort of the interface, I think. Right. Yes, but the future, like what I'm saying is that is there going to be a time where there aren't going to be cords, right? When you have Google Cardboard, there's no cords, right? Yeah, you've got, to, you've got to hold that one. But yeah, um, but yeah in right, like cardboard. where where are we going? Like, what's the future of um, augmented reality? I think that that's where I'm going with this. Yeah. Okay. So, what's the future of augmented reality? <laughs> yeah. I think that the future is going to be largely in uh, driving graphics processing, driving uh, tracking, and it's just going to further the cloud um, and, and sort of cloud computing and how you do lots of lots of intense processing of tracking data and natural image recognition and things like that. To, so processing so that more things can happen. Right, so that more things okay. can happen. It's going to, you know... It, through it, your lenses. Through your lenses. It's yeah. going to definitely drive wireless communication mm -hmm. because, like you said, we don't want to be wired. People want to be tangible. It's going to drive... Um, mobile devices and, and mobile processing um, right. so that these become more and more powerful. He's pointing to his phone for our listeners. Uh, yeah. These. Okay. These phone devices we have will become more and more. And, and I think AR will, will slowly be, become adopted in a lot of industries. It'll become adopted in medical, both for application and for training. It'll play a role in manufacturing and mm. uh, things like Warehouse management, distribution centers, all kinds of safety things. I've always thought of this this application of, you know, pickers in a in a warehouse or a distribution center um, can't see through stacks of boxes, right? Mm -hmm. You can't see through an aisle, but with AR glasses, you can. The AR glasses can know everything about everything that's going on in that warehouse. So the glasses with know with the various cameras on the ceilings, right? With various cameras on the ceilings yeah. and on the devices, so the the glasses know that there's a forklift coming this way mm -hmm. in this aisle, and you're walking this way, and you can see it, right? And it knows that there's the a couple aisle. down that aisle making out. Right. <laughs> and so you can... Um, Finally, technology put to good use. Yeah. I'm not going yeah. to touch on the security concerns <laughs> yeah, yeah. because yeah, yeah. of the controversial nature. Right, um, right. But it's not something that we will be able to ignore. Right. So as, as we're ending, I ask a couple things of every guest. One, what's their like favorite portrayal of somebody in their field? Um, and what's their least favorite portrayal? So like, if you have somebody who's a computer scientist in a movie or a TV or a book, graphic novel, versus a horrible representation of a computer scientist. I don't, I don't know that I have a favorite. I think, so I, I mentioned earlier that to you that I've um, I just caught up on House of Cards, right? And uh, spoiler alerts. Yeah, so, spoiler alert. This isn't going to be out for a while, so that's fine. Um, in the the most recent couple seasons, there is a hacker in right. House of Cards. Mm -hmm. I forgot his name. He just kind of looks like Julian Assange, and I think is maybe almost portraying a similar. He kind mm. of character. looks yeah. like okay. Julian Assange, maybe, yeah. but okay. he. Um, He's kind of portraying this character of a, of a hacker, and I think that he kind of portrays a, a little bit more of a realistic okay. um, 
hacker, not technically. The technical stuff they did on the show was like, what do you like? You mean every time you I'm move in. a window? <laughs> yeah, every yeah. time you move a window on a computer, the computer does not make sound effects, kind of a thing. Right? That was all just very. I love very how that's like theatrical. the minuscule um, thing. Okay, good. But um, they do a great job of portraying the element of sort of social engineering and how much non hard tech is involved in hacking and, and that kind of mm -hmm. um, thing. Like, and if you go to DEF CON and you talk to people whose jobs are you know, penetration testing and stuff, um, there's a great YouTube video actually from a, a, a reporter or a journalist who, who went to DEF CON and asked them to hack him, mm -hmm. which is not a good idea. No. Um, don't even bring your cell phone to DEF CON. Wow. Just don't even do it. So tell us a little bit of like the short sentence, what is DEF CON? Uh, DEF CON is the authoritative conference on hacking. Okay. In, in short. Okay. So, so this journalist goes, this tells, journalist goes tells them, hack me. Yeah, this, this woman um, who's an expert social engineer gets on the phone on her computer, calls up his cell phone provider, and in a two-minute phone conversation gets the person on the phone not only to... Uh, give her access to his account, resets his password, and also adds her to his account. Wow. wow. It's his phone provider. Mm -hmm. Right. So anything that you use two-factor authentication for with a cell phone number, she could then go forth and compromise wow. those accounts. Two minutes on the phone. Yeah. Wow. That's like the power of social engineering. So I was really yeah. glad that they just could, I think they did a good job of portraying that that how powerful social engineering can be. Okay. Um, so bad portrayals of hackers. Bad, then. bad portrayals. Um, Matrix. Let's go. <laughs> the Matrix is like a whole other story. Okay. But um, let's go to Silicon Valley. Um, a lot okay. of people know that show. And okay. I do not. I don't know. But I know it exists. But so the programmers in that show are actually quite accurately represented. Okay. Um, in terms of mannerisms and conversation right. styles and things like that. Um, some of the stuff they say is n like nonsense. Mm -hmm. They're just like throwing keywords in their mm -hmm. <laughs> sentences, you can tell. But again, uh, the way that they portray those programmers is actually pretty realistic. That okay. they, they've got the table full of computer monitors and they're all, they've all they got code on the screen and they're talking about the right terms and whatnot. And that's all kind of how it is. I've been in the, the kind of main scene of where they're all in their house and they've got the one table where everyone's programming. I've, I've been in an office that looked very similar to that. So yeah. I'd say the bad part is how much they kind of, sometimes they overdo it okay. and they make them very nerdy, very... You mean like Big Bang Theory? Similar to Big, Big <laughs> Bang Theory. They make them sometimes very antisocial, very, you know, type A, um, don't know how to interact Mm -hmm. They'll portray the, the male programmer doesn't know how to interact with women, for instance, right? right. Which is like, okay, thank you for the yeah. reinforcement of that stereotype, right. which clearly isn't entirely true. Right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there's certain things, you know, they, they really accentuate certain stereotypes yeah. that I actively try to fight. Right, um, and so I dislike that kind of portrayal of, of people. It. So it's good and bad science. that show. It's good and bad. Got it. Um, it's hilarious to a lot of programmers. It's less hilarious to some. Right. But um, those are just kind of two. When I think of pop culture, those are two immediate references that I 
that come to mind. Right. So I don't really, I don't have a favorite. Right. There's pros and cons, I think, to all instances, so. Right. So we're, we're gonna end this with like, what would you like augmented reality to do for, for the world then? Let's go back to your mission from, oh, your, for, for, from your company. Because, I mean, you were saying where it might go and what these things are doing, but mm -hmm. if we can, like a brief, like what is it gonna do for people that is like beneficial? As you know, I have a really strong passion for education. And so I really want to see AR um, affect the education industry more than anything. Um, that, was the, that was the mission that I really loved um, at RealMax. Um, and I, I kind of think back to various experiences that I had where had I had a different educational experience, I could have a different career, right? Um, I might be a, a physicist yeah. if I had been able to uh, experience you know, biology and physics and chemistry in a, in a very different way. So I, you know, that, that's where I really think it can do the most good is, is in education and allowing us kind of as a species to transmit information to people faster. And in different ways. In not, different ways. Not just the one, right. like you said, book open. Right. And so it, at the same time, it will make it more social, more creative, you know, I want to be able to have educational experiences and, and the AR experience can be immediately shared and experienced both remotely or after the fact um, with my friends. So there's, you know, and, and you definitely see the social component in Pokemon Go now. That's huge. That's not going to go away. Entertainment, I'm excited for because it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you for being here, and thank you, Russell, for being my guest host today. I'm going to shake both of your hands like an adult. Thank, thank you, you for very coming. Much for yeah, us. we're going to talk about your favorite <clears throat> pop culture things. Maybe the next time you come. Ooh, ooh okay. You got to think about awesome. that. Yeah, I'm going to have to discover yeah. what I like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. That was super interesting. Yeah, of course. Thank you for joining us. We just interviewed Kyle Rader about augmented reality. Our guest host was Russell Pierce from Wacom Community College. If you've missed any of the show, go to our website, sparksciencenow.com or kmre.org and click on the podcast link. This is an all-volunteer run show, so if you'd like to help us out, go to kmre.org and click on the donate button. Today's episode was recorded in the Western Washington University Digital Media Center. Our producer is Suzanne Blaze and Regina Barber-DeGraff. The engineer for today's show is Natalie Moore and the DMC crew. Our theme music is Chemical Calisthenics by Blackalicious and Wonderland by Janelle Monet. The feature song today is the Pokemon theme song. Lead, gold, tin, iron, platinum, zinc. When I wrap, you think iodine, nitrate, activate. Right, uranium, the only difference is I transmit sound. Balance with some balance, then you add a little talent in. Careful, careful with those ingredients. They can explode and blow up if you drop them and they hit the ground.